Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. I know that he is available to us. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you're going to be looking at the book of James this morning, and we will cover 11 verses in the book of James, chapter 1, verse number 1, and we'll end in verse number 11. I want to speak to you for a few moments this morning on James, trials in poverty or riches, trials in poverty or riches, and I want to pluck a passage out of the middle of our selection. We'll start in verse number five. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Amen. James, trials in poverty or riches. Lord, we thank you and praise you today. We magnify you for everybody that's gathered in the house of God today, both here and elsewhere. We pray that you would touch and anoint and your presence and goodness would be felt today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. James chapter 1 and verse number 1, he, he starts his epistle with these words, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. If you have your Bibles here today, take them out and follow with me because we will, we will read every single verse and we will glean comments and truths from every verse. This is the first verse that starts James' epistle. James is not very long. It's only five, he's only five chapters. And this is how he begins and addresses his letter. And it is to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. He says the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. The 12 tribes at the writing of James, no longer existed physically, but the title had become a way of describing a regathered and a spiritually renewed Israel that God would create in the last days. So they weren't specific tribes. Uh, it was talking about the bigger picture of tribes being scattered throughout the world. The term diaspora was a technical term for the Jewish community that lived dispersed among the nations outside of Palestine. So during the Assyrian captivity and the Babylonian captivity, they were carried off 722 B.C. and 586 B.C., and they were removed outside of Palestine, and some of them never returned, even though there was a return back to Israel and Jerusalem, and there was a rebuilding of the walls. Some of them never returned, and so they were dispersed throughout the world. And so diaspora was connected to that dispersion. But here James, when James is talking about a dispersion, 
He's not talking about a literal 12 tribes. He's talking about something that God had in mind that the people of God would not be contained to one area, but would be dispersed throughout the world. Praise God. And that it would not include just Jewish people, but it would include all people. This is the idea of the church. The church is made up of everybody and the dispersion, the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, that reflects you and me. We are not in Jerusalem today, but we are part of the dispersion because God's intent was that we would go into all the world. Our world happens to be here. Our place and geographical location happens to be in Bakersfield. And so it doesn't matter where you are, there is a work of God to be done. It doesn't matter where you are, there is a power of God to be felt. And I'm thankful in the house of God today that I have felt the presence and the anointing of God. It's really nice to stand in Jerusalem, but I'm thankful that it's not Jerusalem that is the, the key center point of everything. The key center point is the power of the Holy Ghost. And when God feels you with the Holy Ghost. It's not a physical building, but it is the building of your life. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, God wants to fill you with his spirit. Amen. And if anybody's thankful for that, clap your hands and rejoice together with me that God is still in the saving business. James said, I'm writing to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad in the diaspora, the dispersion. And he was not meaning, I don't think he was meaning this to be literal. He was meaning it to be figuratively. Um, and it is directed to a larger audience. And so James has um, truth for us today. It has things in the book that are important to us today. Our true identity, he starts with this very verse. Our true identity is that we are not of this world. We are not of this world. We operate, we function in the world. We have jobs, occupation, education, skill sets. We do a lot of things, trades. Um, we have to make a living. We have to do all of that. We're in the world, but it's very clear that we are not of this world. There is a greater truth than just in this world. Amen. And I'm thankful for that because when I look around, I'm, I'm not so pleased with this world. But I am pleased with what I have felt in the house of God today. Praise God. God knows how to build you up. And so a little bit of heaven touches down on earth and helps us understand that we're in the world, but there is something that is greater, and it is the power of God. Our identity is not all in this world. We're not chasing. We're not trying to be defined by the world. We're not chasing after the things of the world. What we're chasing after are the things of God. There are different kingdoms in this world. People set up their kingdom and people gravitate to their kingdoms. But we're gravitating to the kingdom of God. And the central key figure in the kingdom of God is Jesus. I want to gravitate toward Jesus. Not myself, not my flesh, not the world. But I want to gravitate to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Praise God. We are his constituents. How would we respond if the king stepped into the building today? Every time you enter into the house of God, the king comes in the building. And if we're constituents of the king, we respond accordingly. 
Has he ever done anything good for you? Praise God. Is he a sovereign God? Is he worthy to be praised? Is he worthy to be magnified? Praise God. Well, if he is, we are constituents of his kingdom. Now, in the book of James, it doesn't appear that there's a clear or systematic progression of thought throughout the book. Sometimes he, he seems to just, it's kind of like Proverbs. If you read Proverbs, it's like one wisdom saying after another with no connection. Although if you do a deep dive study into Proverbs, there are some characters in Proverbs. The main three characters in Proverbs is wisdom, folly, and the strange woman. And so those, those three characters are always trying to vie for the attention of the reader, which in Proverbs happens to be the young man. And so these voices are always talking to him. But when you get into Proverbs, it just looks like one wisdom saying after another. James kind of follows Proverbs. It doesn't appear that there are any clear connections. So even in our selection today, verses 1 through 11, there are some connections. And then there are some that may not even be a connection at all with James. We're trying to take 11 verses and we're trying to connect them. But we're saying with the caveat that there is no explicit, clear connection with all of them. There's not a clear emergent theme in the book of James. He's going from one topic to another. However, he appears to touch on matters. His overarching theme, he touches on matters that could threaten the integrity and the strength of a reader's faith. And so everything that he's saying is trying to pinpoint those stumbling blocks that could keep us from our full potential and activating our full potential. I want to say this right now, okay? I don't know where you are. I don't know what your situation is in life, but I do know this. God wants to activate in you your full potential. You have potential. I don't care what anybody else has told you. They may have told you you don't have anything. You'll never amount to anything. You won't be anything. I want you to know that that is a lie from the pit of hell. Because if you are here, you have potential, and God loves you, and he wants to activate the good things in your life and elevate you to a position of goodness. Boom! Praise God. So take that, devil. Everybody in this building has value. Amen. You have value and you have potential. Praise God. That really is what James is, is focusing on. Stumbling blocks, things that may come in the way. And what he really wants is for believers to progress to a state of maturity and stable faith. Maturity and stable faith. And in order to do that, they have to have the right attitude with the stumbling blocks that might come in their way. How are they going to deal with those stumbling blocks? Because there are going to be things that will try to suppress, block, assassinate, kill, murder your walk with God. Amen. So James is concerned with that. So James chapter 1 begins with uh, talking to the dispersed. And, and that's his opening writings. Now, verse number two and three. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. He opens 
the body of this letter by calling the readers brethren. He does this 14 times throughout the epistle. On a couple of occasions, he qualifies by calling them beloved. So he's speaking to the brethren, and when he's saying brethren, he's not talking about just men. He's talking about the people of God, the dispersed ones. Brethren, he opens this up with an understanding that this is more pastoral in nature. James is wanting to encourage people to activate their faith, grow their faith into a mature stability and strength that is anchored in God. And no matter what obstacles come their way, they will be strong. This is not always everybody. We're in a, we're in a journey to grow and so we're in different developmental stages spiritually, just like people are in different stages physically. You go from in toddlers, infants, to um, teenagers, to adults. There's, there's a development there. In our spirituality, the same thing takes place. And so James is pastorally talking to everybody, the dispersed ones. He calls them the beloved or brethren, and he is encouraging them to keep to keep their faith in the forefront of everything that they are doing. So that's the way that he begins this body. And then he issues a command. He says, count it all joy. Everyone say joy. Count it all joy. And what's remarkable about this command is that he applies it to a situation in which a joyful reaction would be the most unnatural. Count it all joy when you enter into diverse temptations or when you enter into different kinds of temptations, when you meet various trials, count it all joy. This, this seems like an unnatural event because we want to avoid any kind of difficulties, but that's, this is not the Bible. Okay, this is this is not psychology, pop culture or anything else that wants an avoidance of anything that is negative. The scripture, James is saying, count it all joy when you enter into different kinds and various trials and difficulties. Now, I need to say this here. This is not when he's saying when you enter into different kinds of difficulties, count it all joy when you enter into diverse temptations. There's a depth there to what he's talking about in temptations. He's not talking about smashing your thumb with a hammer and, and then yelling, joy, joy, joy. I've got the joy of the Lord. That's, that's kind of superficial. And he's not talking about when you get up at night to go to, to use the restroom and your children have put, in, put Legos all over the floor and it's dark and you're stepping on those. He's not talking about that. And he's not talking about when your dog eats frogs. They're not supposed to eat frogs and toads. There's a toxin in those frogs, and it's going to have an effect on the digestive system. It's going to be very explosive, and there's going to be a mess to clean up. And it's not good. It's not good at all. But James is not talking about these superficial things in life, these, these things that we would call superficial. He's talking about deeper temptations and struggles, all right? And he says, when you enter into those struggles, those difficulties, those various trials, those temptations or that snare that draws you in, that you have to face, 
he says that you should count it all joy, that you should rejoice, that, that you should Joy is more than happiness, too, because happiness is just a, a fleeting emotion. Joy is something deep. James is saying when you enter into the testing, count it as joy. Amen. And he says there are different kinds of trials. And in the New Testament, there's basically two kinds of trials. There are the ones that are an inner enticement to sin a snare into many senseless and hurtful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So there's inner struggles and temptations that can be uh, viewed as a trial. And then at other times, it is external afflictions. Particularly for James and the dispersed, it would be persecution. And, and then there's some meanings where, where it's both, whether it's a temptation that is an internal thing or whether it's an external obstacle that is, is facing you, you can take both of those understandings and put it all together as the trial. If you're going through a trial today, is anybody going through a testing today here in the house of God? It's, it's going to happen. It's natural. It's a reality. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Either you're in one, you've come out of one, or you're going into one. Praise God. Every single one of us know what that's like. James said, this is the word of God. James says, count it as joy when you enter into those temptations. Those are un, that's an unnatural response. People are not supposed to respond that way. But here's the point. The people of God act differently than the people of the world. It's an unnatural thing. The things that happen in the kingdom of God are unnatural to the world because they operate in an entirely different manner. I want you to know here today in the house of God that it is a true biblical thing that if you're in a trial or if you're being tested by an internal or an external testing that God knows exactly where you are. He didn't mess up. He's not confused. He knows who you are, where you are, and he's going to walk with you through that difficulty that is in your life. Is there anybody here today that could testify and say, Pastor, I know what you're talking about. I've been there, done that, and I know I'm probably going to enter it again. But I know this. God is faithful. Woo! Praise God. Praise God. That's exciting. That's something to be excited about. Amen. This morning, it's Sunday on the Rock. This could be... This is common to everybody. There are adversities that might be specific to believers, but it's common to everybody. It could be an illness. It could be financial reverses. These, these diverse or diverse things. It could be social and economic persecution. It could be, uh, it could be a lot of things these different kinds of testings. Whatever they are, whatever they are, they are to be considered by the believer as an occasion for rejoicing. Amen. And that's unnatural. Now, here's the reason why. The reason why believers should react with joy is because this testing, 
these trials, they are the means through which God works to perfect faith. Now watch this. It's not to build faith. It's to perfect faith. You're not entering into your testing so that you can gain faith. You should already have faith. <laughs> Praise God. And the testing and the difficulty is so that you can increase your faith. The testing is not to kill you or destroy you. The testing is to build up your faith and make you stronger. Not weaker, but stronger. They strengthen the faith that is already present in your life. How does that take place? Well, if I have faith and I enter into a difficulty and God helps me through the difficulty and he's strengthening me and he's strengthening my faith, when I come out of it on the other side, I'm not going to be an individual with less faith unless I check out. But when I come out of it, I'm going to be a person of greater faith Be, because I came through it. Praise God. There are times in the middle of the testing that I don't know which way to turn or what to do, but I'm just trusting that God knows what he's doing because I know that he's sovereign and I'm not sovereign. And then when I come out of the testing on the other side and I look back and I see where God has brought me from, it increases my faith and says, I know that God was there. Doesn't matter what I feel. I'm going to be strengthened by this so that when I, in, when I encounter the next testing, I know that the same God that helped me through that difficulty is going to help me through the next difficulty. Praise God. God knows how to strengthen us. And, and the idea is the process by which silver or gold is refined by fire. When you, take, when you take precious metals, you have to put them through a, the process of fire to, to burn the impurities off of them and from them so that they come out. The scripture calls it like coming out as gold. Initially, it may not look like it, but in the middle of my testing, when I come out on the other side, I'm going to be purified and any dross, anything that is negative, anything that is an impurity is going to be burned off. And what's going to come forth is strengthened. The pressure cooker strengthens things. Amen. So trials and testing, they don't determine whether or not you've got faith. They strengthen the faith that is already present. And he says that. In our verse, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, the, the increasing of your faith, it does something. What does it do? It works patience in you. Now, the way that that is described is, is interesting because the, the thing that James is probably trying to get at more is the fact that patience here represents a steadfastness. So patience is not that, that quality of, of being impatient with things, the frustrated with things. Somebody told me recently that there is, um, I think it was Brother John DeArmond told me 
that it's almost like a principle that at the end of the day, when you're wrapping things up and it's time to go, that's the moment when things don't work right. And it's really frustrating because you're, you're trying to wrap everything up and move on and it's not working right. And so then impatience comes in, right? And, and sometimes you'd be better off just to walk away and say, I'll, I'll pick that up tomorrow. Because if you start getting impatient trying to do it, you're going to make more mistakes, which is not going to be emotionally healthy for you. So sometimes you need to know where to cut your losses and walk away and say, I'll, I'll deal with that tomorrow. I can't deal with this today. James is not talking about that kind of patience. He's talking about a steadfastness. See, there's a depth there. If it's just on a super le superficial level of patience like that, then the trying and testing of your faith that makes you stronger doesn't make any sense. But if it's a steadfastness, then that's what he's trying to get at. And there have been others that have tried to um, describe this. They've, they've won, and you can look at this by the different translations. So one translation tries to describe this as fortitude. The trying of your faith produces fortitude. Uh, another said it's staying power, that I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay in this. I'm not, in just a minute, you're going to see where he, he talks about faith having it, or patience having her perfect work. Because you, you can check out. People can check out in the midst of their testing. And they can check out. But James is saying, let it, let it produce something in you that is steadfast. That is a fortitude, a staying power. One person said a heroic endurance. These are all attempts at trying to capture the meaning of patience that is, is mentioned here. Amen. So it's not a meek, passive, submissive to circumstances. But it is a strong, active, challenging response that, that puts this testing of faith into practice and says, I'm going to be patient or I'm going to be steadfast or I'm going to have some staying power. Praise God for saints of God. I heard Brother Raymond Andreas this morning praying in the sanctuary, and he was praying for elders. Thank God for elders that are here in the house of God that have, that have exhibited to us the example of steadfastness. That's a strength to me. I'm, I'm, I'm 51 years of age, and I know that there are people younger than me that look to me to understand and recognize I've gone through some things in my life. And I have, I, I'm still here. I'm here. I didn't check out. There have been interesting testings and trials of different sorts and kinds. But I, I'm, I, there's some staying power here. And I know that that is a strength to those that are younger. For those who are older than me, I can look at them and say, if they're 80 years of age, Sister Kaufman has celebrated her 80th birthday yesterday if 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 there are people that can live for god 80 years of age i know that they've gone through more than i've gone through and they've had testings and difficulties because they've lived longer than i've lived and that's an example of steadfastness faithfulness fortitude staying power you need to be thankful for everybody in the house of god that's still here they could have checked out they could have walked away they could have had difficulties 
that seemed insurmountable, but they're still here in the house of God living for God. That's what you build revival off of. Steadfastness, staying power, their strength to move the ball forward. Thank God for people that are still living for God when they could be gone. Amen. That's what James is is talking about. He's talking about uh, responding with joy because they're working and producing in me a deeper, stronger, more certain faith. Let's say that together because that's really good. Deeper, stronger, more perfect faith. It's a deeper, stronger, and a more certain faith. Now, verse number four. But let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So James is saying if this testing that is in your life, if it produces the right fruit, it's going to be a perfect work that's going to create a perfect believer. If you don't check out, if patience has her perfect work, steadfastness, steadfastness, again, not, understand, not the, not the impatience, not that, not that, the steadfastness, see, it's, it's more centered, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, not on the surface, but it's underneath steadfastness, staying power, strength, fortitude. If, if that steadfastness can have its perfect work, it's going to create a person that is perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, what does that mean? It means that there is a, what he's getting at is maturity. When he says perfect, he's talking about a completeness. He's not talking about the fact that you're going to be perfect because that's an eschatological thing. Eschatological thing, what is that? That's the study of the end times. That means end time things. Eschatological, things that are reserved for the end time. You say, well, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not clear on the concept. Well, look at it this way. Paul said this mortal body is going to one day put on immortality. So this mortal body is in the present. Eschatologically, this mortal body is going to put on immortality. It's going to be changed. We are not going to, on the other side of the eschatological divide, we're not going to be in this body where there's tears, pain, and suffering. We're going to put on immortality, and we're going to be in a new body that has new dimensions that is like Christ. Praise God. Praise God. So that's the difference. So in terms of perfection and working this out in your life through testing and steadfastness, what does he mean that, that, that patience needs to have its perfect work that's going to produce a person that is perfect and entire? It means maturity. It means completeness. It, it's a process. It means it's something that you are striving toward. Now, you're never going to get there to perfection until the mortal becomes immortal. 
One of these mornings, it's going to happen when the good Lord returns. And when he returns, there's going to be a new nature, a new understanding, a new heaven, and a new earth. But we're not there yet. But that doesn't mean that we check out because we're wanting to become more like Jesus Christ. And so it is a constant pursuit in the process of trying to be complete, lacking nothing, and mature. Praise God. And this is what James is trying to talk about here. A perfect work is a person that is complete. They have matured in something. And that makes perfect sense because what is it that matures you? This is one of the reasons, this is one of the problems that we've got in our society right now is because we're trying to protect everybody from everything and we're not giving them the ability to be tested and to grow. What matures you? What matures you is when you go through testing in difficult times. Now, here's something that's interesting. Because sometimes people can tell you what to do and not to do. Every one of us that are parents, we understand this. And maybe for those of you that have dogs or pets, maybe you can understand this as well, depending on how smart your pet is. Okay? When you go through things and difficulties, right, and you come out of it, there's a maturing process there. It makes you more complete. Parents can tell their children what they need to do, what they should do, and you should do that. Raise up a child, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. Raise him up in the way that he should go. That's what you're supposed to do. But at some point, <laughs> they're going to make their own decisions. Pray, 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 saints, that they listen to what you say. And that they listen to you and they don't do things where they have to learn on their own. We can see this even from a very early age with children that want to touch the stove. You can tell them over and over and over, don't touch that. It's hot. Okay? This is a test. It's a test. Don't touch it. It's hot. And you can rely on me not to touch it and, and you'll do very well. But more times than not, what do they do? They're going to they're gonna learn by themselves touching it. And then you're going to have to comfort them and try to help them and then say to them, see, I told you don't touch it because it's, it's hot. You know what's going to happen? What's, what's going to happen because of that testing is they're, they're not going to go touch it again because they've become more mature and more complete in their understanding that I am not doing that again because that is hot. And every testing and every difficulty that you run into, the trying of your faith, that's what's supposed to be happening. You come out of it, you come out of it perfect, you come out of it with maturity and completeness because you have learned something through the process. Have you ever been through a difficulty? Have you ever been through a testing? There's some things that you will not do because you learned from it. And James is saying this is what the trying of your faith and the testing is trying to work out in you. It's trying to complete you and make you mature and make you better so that you can be better used of God. Amen. Praise God. 
What you have now is nothing compared to what will be. All right. Now, here's one of those places where there doesn't seem to be any connection between what we've just said to where we're going because of verse number five. And this is what we read in our text. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Actually, this is uh, actually there is a good connection here because wisdom is something that you need coming out of the different circumstances in your life. Praise God. And so it's it's later in this where he's talking about the poor and the rich. But it doesn't seem like there's any connection. Wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. One of the most important virtues that a believer. James is not talking to unbelievers here. He started out by saying, my brethren, or the beloved, or the ones that are in the dispersion. He's saying, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And God gives to all people all men liberally. Wisdom, Sophia, plays a central role in the Old Testament, Proverbs, all the wisdom sayings, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Amen. It's, it's funny. One particular person said, you read Proverbs, it's what you're supposed to do. Ecclesiastes, you read it, and it's what you were supposed to do, and it didn't work. So those are your wisdom uh, books that we have there in the Bible. So... Praise God. It may, may depend on where you are. If you feel like you want to read something to help you, read Proverbs. But if you feel like what you did didn't work, read Ecclesiastes. Scripture has something for everybody. So wisdom is something that is important. It's an important virtue. Amen. Wisdom is a virtue that gives direction for life. It gives direction and insight into the will of God. I want to say this without equivocation. We need believers. We need believers that, that have wisdom. We are in a world in which wisdom is very important. Your pursuit of the will of God is very important. My life must be measured up to what God wants in my life. And so I'm pursuing some things I don't know about the will of God. Some things about the will of God, you do what you know to do in the present. And there's a lot of things in the scripture that tells us that's the will of God. It's the will of God that you pray. It's the will of God that you incorporate fasting. It's the will of God that you worship not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. It's the, it's the will of God that you have spiritual disciplines in your life. It's the will of God that you walk by faith. I know to do all those things. And so I'm in the will of God when I'm doing what I know to do. But there's some things down the road that I can't see. I only know what I'm supposed to do now in the will of God. When I get down the road, I'll be able to turn around and say I was doing what I knew to do in the present. And now that I look back, I can see I was in the will of God, but it's not some mystery magic that comes to me. I've got to do what I know to do. That's the will of God. Every decision that I make, I need insight to make sure it's the right decision sprinkled with prayer, time and effort. Every decision and every choice I make, I want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing and in the will of God. And wisdom and insight 
is what I need to make those decisions. This is not something that is arbitrary. This is something that comes from God. If I lack it, let him ask of God, and God's going to give liberally. He's not stingy with wisdom. He's going to give it to you if you ask for it. If you're in situations here today, I would counsel you today through preaching. Ask for wisdom. God, help me. Am I doing the right thing? Am I living the right way? These things in my life that I feel like I need to make decisions. I want to make the right decisions because I want to be saved. I want to activate faith in my life. I want to be used of you in my family, in my children, in all the decisions I make. I want the wisdom of God and the strength of God to bring insight to me. I'm not randomly just opening the Bible and pointing my finger to a scripture and saying that must be the will of God for me. That's not what the will of God is for you. And you better be careful (laughs) because you may find a verse that's I have a disease that has eaten up all of my bones or something like that in Psalms. Don't do that. I've actually had people do that. I came to me and said, I, I, I like this girl. She's just, wow, she's incredible. And I, I opened up the Bible, and the first verse that I came across was, you know, she is blessed of all women. And <laughs> Proverbs 31, the woman of that can do everything right. She doesn't do anything wrong. She like works. She's wise. She does all this stuff. There's not a woman out there like that. Stop it. Proverbs is general wisdom. Those are characteristics that are cool, but there's no one person that holds all of those things. And so with that one verse that was pinpointed, that was it. That's that's not the wisdom and insight that James is talking about. James is talking about, remember, he's not talking superficially about patience. He's not talking superficially about testing. There's a depth here. And the depth here is that you as a believer need to have wisdom and insight to what God is doing. You need to have some discernment about the world that you live in, the situations that you live in, the environment that you live in and you need to speak to those environments you need to rebuke the devourer because you've got an insight on what the devourer is trying to do to you your life your spirituality and your family and so you step up with confidence because you've been given wisdom of God and you say I rebuke you in Jesus name whatever spirit it is whatever situation it is whatever environment it is you take control of that because you've got divine insight as to who you are, where you are, and what God is doing in your life. Praise God. Wisdom. Wisdom is necessary. It preserves. I'm not going to get through this here today. I'm not going to get there. We're not going to get 11 verses here today. As a matter of fact, the musicians need to come. I need to end this right here. Wisdom. Do you know what preserved Abraham? Think about this. Let's take everything that we've said so far and let's put an illustration to it. Abraham. All right. Count it all joy when you enter into different kinds of testing and temptations because it's going to do something of great value 
It's going to work steadfastness and patience and fortitude and staying power. And if you don't check out, don't check out. Let her have her perfect work. You're going to be complete. Abraham was an individual that went into a time of testing. God promised him something. He left the city that he lived in, walked out in the desert, started following a promise. People asked him what he was doing. He couldn't even answer it. He just said, I'm following God. I don't know where I'm going. I'm just trusting God. And in the midst of all of that testing, God, when he finally gives to him Isaac, his promised child that is going to be the descendant of, of the nation of Israel, God asks him to sacrifice Isaac. And what's amazing and this is the reason why Abraham is the father of the faithful. And this is why we look to Abraham. He didn't grumble about it. I mean, I, I don't see him going, <laughs> I don't see him doing that. But joy doesn't always do that, right? Happiness does, but not joy. Joy is something deeper. Abraham takes up Isaac, some servants, and makes his way to Mount Moriah. This is a testing. God, you are asking me to sacrifice the very thing that you promised me. But I'm going to approach it with joy. Knowing that it's working something. And so he makes his way to Mount Moriah. It's wisdom that protects the command to sacrifice his son Isaac. And preserves him. It's wisdom. How? Because Abraham knows God didn't bring me this far to leave. That's what you see. You see a mature, confident, steadfast faith that says, I followed him. He's walked with me through the desert. He's been through many situations with me. And no matter what he's asking me to do, I'm going to put my faith in him and not myself because I know that he is sovereign. And it's wisdom and insight that says whatever God is doing, he's going to do it right. It may not look like in my own mind that this is even a possibility, but with God it is possible. And so I'm going to do what God asked me to do. And no matter what happens, God is in control. God is in control. And it's insight and wisdom that protects and preserves Abraham's faith. Amen. And all we have to do, according to James, is we have to ask in faith. Verse number six, but let him ask in faith nothing wavering. Nothing wavering as we stand together in the house of God. Abraham never wavered. Oh, I want you to know in the house of God, I want to be like my father of the faithful Abraham that never wavered. Because there's moments in my life when I've gone through some situations that my face hasn't been pointed at Mount Moriah with an attitude that said God's got it all in control. 
I haven't been as complete or as mature. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I, have, I haven't been there, but, but thank God, I did have faith. And through that process and through that difficulty, God strengthened my faith and helped me understand, okay, the next time around, you don't have to waver because he's been faithful to you. Praise God. There's been some small problems. I've come through small problems. There's been some medium-sized problems. There's been some big problems. God creates and strengthens a faith. And all we have to do is ask for wisdom and ask for insight into what God is doing. Amen. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place here today. Amen. I don't think we're on a superficial level here today. I think we've gone beyond the superficial something a little deeper if you need if you need wisdom to understand where you are in the testing praise God all you have to do according to James is you have to ask that's what that's what we're going to do at the conclusion amen of this service here today I want us to walk to this front in mass I want us to step out of pews and make our way as close as we can up here Amen. And for a few moments here in the house of God, before we leave today, God, I know that there's testing. It comes to everybody. I know that it produces a strength and anointing. Praise God. And so I'm coming to you today. Amen. You see where I am? Amen. Don't clog the center. There's Don't clog the center. Don't clog the sides. Amen. Praise God. If you're in a test, you're in a difficulty, Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Why don't you lift your hands this morning and why don't you ask for wisdom without wavering? God, I want your insight. Praise God. I want your direction. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, bring wisdom and insight to where I stand. So many times I question. Certain circumstances and things I could not understand. Sing it, Brother Gary. Many times in trials, witness blurs my vision and my frustrations get so out of hand. Oh, you're reminded. It's then I am never been forsaken and I've never had to stand one test alone as I look at all the victories and his spirit rises up in me 